0: August the 12th, and we have all the service times and the location of the service, so you can get it right here. But the Arlington County Fair every year is at this location. We cannot be here on these grounds when the fair is here because they take over the entire place. And so we thought about a lot of different things about what we could do, and we decided to do this. We're actually going to meet in the sanctuary at the church office. Now, some of you have been there before. And many of you have not been there before. It would be a great time for you to see where the church office location is. And uh, it's actually an an older church building here in Arlington. Um, It will not be large enough to accommodate all of us. And so maybe some of you are wondering, why in the world would we choose to go to that location? First of all, we're going to have four services. And in order to disrupt you a little bit, we're going to change them to 915 and 1115 just to kind of for those creatures of habit to make you alter your time a little bit to get you to do something different. And then 5 and 7 o'clock at night. Now, we're going to try to bribe some of you to sleep in and to come to the night service. At the 5 and 7 only, there will be free pizza and ice cream out at the lawn. Yes, yeah. we, 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 We're trying to figure out a way to spread the numbers out throughout the four services because the sanctuary there... You know, you get up to 150 people and you're totally, totally maxed out. So, between that and the parking. Now, the reason we want to meet there is we want to tell you a story. And it's very important that we are in that location to tell you the story. God has actually done a very amazing thing. And it has to do with that piece of property. And we want to share that story with you. Uh, We think that, you know, possibly you'll be in awe of what God has done. But if you're not in awe, at the very least, you will be entertained. Okay? Okay? So that's why we want to meet there on that day. So we encourage you. We'll try to give you more information as we get closer to the date. But that is Sunday, August the 12th. We hope you all show up. And um, there's two hours in between services, so we'll have a little bit more time and a smaller crowd to kind of connect with each other. That takes care of it for me. Thank you very much for listening. Here comes Pastor Derek. Good morning.
1: So I don't know if you've ever had someone in your life, or maybe you have someone in your life currently, that you just can't stand, but I have. His name was Chris Montante, but he insisted that everybody call him Tante. One of the first reasons I didn't like him right there. Um safe to say i can't stand it's probably too strong i no actually it's not strong enough i i, I absolutely hated i actually hated tante um because he was pretty much against everything that i was for you see i knew uh, tante in college he was actually one of my fraternity brothers in college at miami university and uh, we were, he was the same year as me and um you see, I came in, and I was not kind of your typical fraternity guy. I, I was really radically opposed to even joining a fraternity in the first place. But I stumbled upon this fraternity that was was different, and, um, and it really intrigued me. They were really about service and, and, and trying to give back and, and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was just they kind of had a different set of values than from at least what I stereotypically understood most fraternities to be about. And so I jumped in. And um, my deal was that I was there – don't get me wrong. I was there to have a good time, but, but it was, I had a kind of a work hard, play hard mentality. You know, we need to go to class. need to make the grade here to learn. Um, and I was really into service. So it was all about giving back to the community and what could we as a whole fraternity do to, to help out in the community and, and to have a good image in the community and that sort of stuff. Um, well, none of that meant anything to my friend Tante he um, basically came in and his goal was to graduate with a degree. So if he could just get a two-point, that was cool. And then he would hey, he had a job lined up from his parents. So he was all taken care of. So basically, he rarely went to class. He made fun of people who did. Uh, he was extremely lazy. And um, one of his favorite pastimes was late at night after a lot of partying, he just thought it was a great time to just trash the fraternity house. And I was constantly the one who was trying to Kind of keep it orderly and make sure that we were all being responsible. And he, you know, he was one of these guys. I don't know if you have somebody like this, he just loved to instigate. I have a younger brother, two years younger than me. He used to just sometimes just push my buttons just because. That was that was Tante. He he just he knew he could mess with you and he would, and it just was so frustrating to me. And so we he really could care less about me, quite frankly. But I hated him. I hated this guy. This went on for two years. And then very early on my junior year of college, something happened that completely changed everything. We were um, doing a – we did this big service project. We created a haunted house for the community, for all the kids in the community. And we're doing the teardown. And I'm doing the teardown in this one room. And I'm pulling nails out of this two-by-four, and I'm backing up. And I step – down onto a three inch nail that was sticking up out of this board went right through the middle of my foot and I pulled my foot up ripped my shoe off and my sock is just soaked and there's blood going everywhere and so I start hopping out of the room and I went and I hopped over to the front porch and that's the front porch was where everybody used to love to hang out and so um there were a bunch of guys out there maybe a dozen guys and I said I need help I need help Who was the first guy to jump up and help me? Tante. He jumps up, comes over, takes this white hockey shirt. It was his favorite shirt. He wore it at least four times a week, which in college was totally acceptable, right? (laughs) So he rips off his favorite hockey T-shirt. He's a huge hockey player. White T-shirt. Ties it around my foot gets underneath my arm, had another guy get underneath the other arm, and they proceed to carry me out to the car and then drive me to the emergency room and waited for four hours in the ER while I got my x-rays done and, you know, the tetanus and all the different things that, that went into that and then proceeded to drive me back. Now, that completely screwed everything up. We had a very simple relationship. There was an understanding and an expectation. And now everything had changed. This one little nail. Because here was the problem. How in the world can I hate this guy now? I I can't. In fact, the hilarious thing is I tell a story to people when they meet us when we're out or doing whatever. because he's one of my best friends in the world. And So I always start off by saying, you know, this guy, I hated him. I used to hate him. Right? So here's the deal. What he did for me... It forced me to confront my hatred toward him, forced me to confront my hatred. Today, we are looking in the book of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet Jonah. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to, to turn there. You can find this in your outline, too. What we find with Jonah is that just like I was forced to confront my hate, God did the same thing with Jonah. Jonah. Jonah was a guy, you might only know about Jonah is that he got swallowed up by some big fish and that you can't, kind of don't remember the rest of the story. But here's the deal with Jonah. Jonah was actually full of hate toward a group of people. They were known as the Assyrians. And one of their main cities was Nineveh, which is the focal point of the book of Jonah. And the Assyrians were this wicked people. They were a major threat to the Israelites, right, the, the Jewish people of whom um, Jonah was a prophet. And they had been at war with these people. I mean, it was just a bad scene. So it was a hated, a deeply hated enemy. And Jonah is the prophet. I mean, he, he's, he's right there. I mean, he can't stand these guys. Well, let's see how the, the, the book opens up. Jonah 1, one says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, you might read this and say, oh, that's, that's right up Jonah's alley. If you know what the prophets were supposed to do? They were supposed to be the ones that declared God's truth that obviously you know, oftentimes was not popular. And so, well, Jonah hates these people. He's supposed to just go and basically rail against them and rain down God's judgment and and God's, you know, these wicked people. How can you do this? This, Jonah should love this. He should have a field day. Interestingly enough, we find out later on in Jonah chapter 4, and we'll read about it later, is that Jonah actually knew what God wanted to do with the people of Nineveh. See, Jonah was going to go in and he was going to preach this, you know, you better repent, God's judgment is coming type of a message. And Jonah knew that God actually wanted to use that so that the people would all repent and then God would have compassion on them and and, and God would forgive them. And Jonah hated these people and he said, no, look, look at verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. She says, you know, these people are wicked. These people are terrible. I hate these people. I'm not going to be a part of God's redemptive process for these people. I'm going the other way. So he gets on a boat, this huge boat filled with all these different people. He's just a random passenger on this boat trying to get away. Well, God is like, okay, Jonah, that's how you're going to play. And he sends a big storm. Okay. So this massive storm, this boat is, is on the verge of being absolutely just thrown to pieces and everybody perishing in the ocean. And everyone starts freaking out, trying to figure out what's going on. Well, finally, Jonah fesses up, and he said, it's me. You've got to throw me over. It's the only way this storm is going to subside. So eventually they do. They throw him over. Storm calms down. And it seems like Jonah's on his way to his death in the ocean. But God, in his mercy, sends this fish. And this giant fish swallows Jonah up and then deposits him onto dry land. Funny well, how God has a way of getting our attention when uh, we're refusing to do what we know God wants us to do. So in chapter 3, then, Jonah's back on dry land. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Now, we've got to give Jonah some credit here. He uh, doesn't need to be, go through this whole process again, so he says, okay, I'll go. And it says he obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh, hated Nineveh, proclaiming these words, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So this is the message he brings from God. And it says in verse 5 that the Ninevites hear this message, and they believed God. They believed the message. They took it seriously. It says that a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, Put on sackcloth. This was just this fasting attire. I mean, these guys were very serious. Oh, man. And, and the king actually made this proclamation. He said, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So everybody is fasting. Everybody is like face on the floor, repenting before God. They turn from their evil ways. Like everybody just totally freaks out and does a 180. And it says in verse 10 that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Some translations say he had compassion. And he didn't bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. God extends his grace and his mercy. It says uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said now you got to love this prayer. This is one of my favorite prayers Isn't this what I said lord when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to tarshish. I mean, can you just see him just angry just 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 yelling Oh god You know, this is what we talked about in the beginning. He knew this was happening He said I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate god Slow to anger and abounding in love a god who relents from sending calamity now lord just take away my life for it's better to me than to die than to live. You see, Jonah is so disgusted that God would look at this hated enemy, this wicked group of people, and he would have compassion on them. He would forgive them. He would extend his grace to them. Jonah's sick over this. What Jonah wants, he wants that God, that hellfire and brimstone, he wants that God of total justice and judgment to come down and drop the hammer on these people. That's what Jonah's looking for because he hates these people so much. And when he says, you know, it's better for me to live than to die, let me just give you a little insight into what he's really saying there. Basically, he has devoted his life to be a prophet of God, to be God's mouthpiece, to be God's servant. And so whatever the message of the the Lord is, he proclaims that. Well, he is now so confused by God's ways, he doesn't understand God anymore. These people are so wicked, so corrupt, so hated. He's like, how could you have compassion on these people? And it screws him up so bad. Basically, what he's saying is, you know, my life is now meaningless. As a prophet, what I've devoted my life to, totally worthless. It'd be better for me to die than to continue on with this. Verse 4, it says, then the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Jonah had gone out, and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Now check this out. You've got to follow with what happens next because God is, is putting together an object lesson for Jonah that he won't forget. It says, then God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was Very happy about the plant. Very excited about this plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. I mean, can you tell he's got an anger problem? Man, Jonah, man, my goodness. Now, here's, here's the important part to catch. But the Lord said, Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and then it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So what God is saying to Jonah here is he's saying, look, you care so much about this stupid plant. You didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't make the seed. You didn't put it in the ground. You didn't water it. You certainly didn't make it grow. You, did, you had nothing to do with this plant's existence. And look how much you care, Jonah. And then he says to Jonah, think, Jonah. Think about it. There are 120,000 people in this city, and I, God Almighty, made them. They're my creation. I knit every single one of them together in their mother's womb. I breathed life into them. I gave them purpose and reason for living. Shouldn't I care about this city? Jonah has a fundamental problem. See, here's his problem Jonah is totally cool with the idea that God loves him and God. You know t- totally gives him grace like jonah's not perfect and he understands that so when he messes up He does something wrong. He, he totally accepts god for- god's forgiveness and god's grace And god's mercy in his own life He's totally good with that But when god decides that he wants to extend the same grace and the same mercy and the same forgiveness to this other group of people Jonah's totally not cool with that. Why because he hates him because of his hatred Toward them, because they're an enemy of his. Now, it's really easy for me to stand up here and just to beat up Jonah. Okay, just pick on him. Man, look how, look how lost Jonah is. Look at how self-absorbed he is, whatever. But in reality, when I think about this in my own life, I do the exact same thing. I am I am great. With, with God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness in my own life. And I know that I mess up, but I ask God to forgive me, and, and, and I, I believe that God does. And so that, that's a beautiful thing for me. But here's the problem that I have. When I think about certain people, when I think about um, the Jerry Sanduskys of the world with this whole Penn State scandal and what he has done, when I think about um, the guy uh, who was, just was involved in the in the shooting in the movie theater in Colorado two nights ago? All of a sudden, I'm not so cool with God having mercy and compassion and grace there. When I think about in my own life, there was someone who completely wrecked my whole family situation, and it'll never fully be kind of the way it was before. Um, I don't know that. I'm just so cool with God's grace and forgiveness just so easily extended in that situation. So in many ways, I'm actually just like Jonah. I have a problem when God's grace that's given to me is extended to somebody else. As if I'm going to be really honest. What I really want in many of those situations where it's personal to me is I want God's justice. I want God's judgment there. I don't want it on my own life. But 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 other people, oh, man, I mean, there's some other really messed up people that they deserve. I don't deserve it, but they do. Jesus uh, was talking to a group of people who struggled with this same exact problem that, that Jonah struggled with, that, that I struggle with at times. He was addressing a group of super religious people. They strove to do everything that they could, to do everything right so that they would be kind of right in the eyes of God. And they believed they had tremendous favor with God, that God loved them. And they would still mess up, but they would confess their sins. And, and, and you know, they just, they were like, this is great. You know, we know God loves us. They would look at some other people over there man. Those people are messed up. God could never extend his grace that far. And to those people, Jesus told a parable. It's found in Luke chapter 15. He told the parable, you have probably heard about it, of the prodigal son or the lost son. And just a super quick summary of the parable that Jesus told. He said there was a father who had two sons. The youngest son went to his father and asked for his inheritance. Asking for your inheritance back then was basically like saying to your dad, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. Give me your money. It was basically just a totally disconnect, disrespect thing done. Father gives him his inheritance. The son goes off, and he squanders it in the most irresponsible, uh, despicable way you can imagine, just defiling himself with, with, with just, I mean, all the terrible things of the world. And he gets to the point where he has spent every dime, and he is in a pigsty eating the slop of the pigs. And for a Jewish person, that was like the lowest of the low. You might as well be dead at this point, okay? He decides at that moment, I would be better off going to my father. And he would never take me back, he's thinking, but at least I could just be a servant in his house. At least I'd have something to eat because this is terrible. He He goes back to his father. His father sees him and runs out, takes his best robe, puts it around the son, embraces his son, and announces they're going to have a massive feast. He says, kill the fattened calf, like the best calf we have. We are partying it up because my son who was lost is found again. The father turns to the older son. And he says, son, come on, your brother's here. This is amazing. Come party with us. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 28 of Luke 15. Jesus says, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But it says the older brother answered to his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older brother in this story is seething, he is so angry and upset. Over this thing. He's so angry. He's actually left the party. He's left. His father's presence in this story, the father symbolizes God, our father. And so he's actually disconnected himself, his anger, his, his seething. He's disconnected himself from the father, from God. He's now outside the party. This guy who strove his whole life to stay close to God has now disconnected himself from God because he's so upset. He can't see how the grace of God could possibly cover his younger brother. His younger brother was too wicked. To, I mean, too much stuff happened. He can't see how grace goes that far. See, here's the older brother's problem. The older brother, and you can see it in those verses, has a sense of entitlement. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. See, I was, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to your favor. I'm entitled to your grace. He's earned, he's earned it. He's earned the grace. That's kind of his mentality. The problem with that is grace, by definition, can't be earned. It's impossible. Let me give you a little working definition of grace. Little g, grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. It is favor that we don't deserve. It's favor that we don't earn. We don't do anything for it. Grace by pure definition is something that is just given to us without us having any sense of feeling like we we deserve to get it. Ephesians 2.8.9 says it like this. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one and boast. Grace cannot be earned. It's this whole idea of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for us. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, a perfect God. No matter what we strive to do in this life, we will never be perfect. Never. And so what we do is by grace, we say, you know what? We believe in the only one who lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ. He said he came to die for the forgiveness of our sins so that we'd be made perfect by having faith in him. That is grace. And here's the deal this grace that is extended to us is offered to every single person in the universe. Jesus just didn't die for certain people, Jesus died for everyone and everything. And so God extends his grace, and for some of you, this is going to totally freak you out, okay? But God extends this grace to everyone, from the greatest people to the most despised people, from the Mother Teresas to the Jerry Sanduskys and the guy who did that uh, shooting in Colorado. I can't remember his name, but, you know, everything in between. God, there is no limit to God's grace. Now, If that doesn't mess with you enough, let me tell you something that's even more messed up than that Not only does god extend his grace to everyone Including our most hated people in our lives people who have caused us the most pain our greatest enemies the people we hate Not only does god want to extend his grace to them But god calls us to extend that grace to them as well. He calls us To extend that grace It's crazy to me This is the craziest command in the entire Bible. Jesus says it in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Unbelievable. He says this, love your enemies. Love them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High God. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is totally crazy to me. The idea not only that God would extend his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his compassion to the people in my life who have done me wrong, to to the most despised people I can think of, but that he would also ask me. To extend that grace and to love them and to pray for them and to bless them. That's messed up. But that's what God calls us to. Now, here's the question. How in the world do we do this? When you think about, a lot of us, when we just start talking about this, you're seeing your enemy in your brain, okay? You're already seeing the face or getting a memory of someone who who has deeply wronged you. Maybe has never asked for any forgiveness, isn't repentful at all. You're, you're seeing that person. What the heck does it look like? How do we do this? How do we love them? We just flip a switch and say, oh, sweet, I can't stand this person. I'm just going to go love them after we get out of service today. I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? So what, is, what does that look like? Well, I, um, I have someone who's going to help us to unpack that a little bit through her story of what that's looked like in her life. So if I could ask you to give a special grace welcome to Kathy Wan, who's going to join us up here. Oh, yeah. Yes, you do need a mic, don't you? So... Um, Kathy has been at Grace for many years, and um, she first was attending with her husband, Robert, who, just a joy of a man, was very involved at Grace. And um, tragically, about five years ago, um, Robert was brutally murdered in uh, in D.C. while uh, with some friends. And uh, it's been all over the news. It's a major, major deal. Many of you have probably heard about the, the Robert one murder and all the stuff that, <clears throat> that went along with that. But, um, you know, so many, so many things that were so tragic about, about that. And um, one of them was that as the investigation went on, it, it became apparent to everybody and was declared that, you know, there was tremendous tampering with evidence. There was this massive cover-up. And these three guys that initially alleged that it was like an intruder who came in, it, it became obvious to everyone, including the judge, that um, but they actually were the ones responsible for his murder, and um, unfortunately, they got uh, very high-powered lawyers, and they had done enough uh, cover-up stuff to where, and they, none of them talked, so they they couldn't they couldn't make an indictment. They they beyond beyond a reasonable doubt, they couldn't they couldn't uh, get anywhere with with the charges, and so these three guys actually uh, were found. Not guilty, although the judge in the statement said, I believe that even though we can't prove them beyond a reasonable doubt, that they are responsible for this crime. And um, I mean, just you can imagine all the emotions wrapped up in not only losing your husband uh, to people who you believed were his friends, uh, but then going through this just gut wrenching process and everything that goes along with that. And then um, At the end of all that, not not only not getting a a, I'm sorry or any sort of repentance from from these three guys, but realizing that they actually basically got away with it. Um, I I mean, this wrecked me. Um, And and obviously, you know, just I mean, Kathy's life has forever been altered. And so um, anyway, let me flash forward a little bit. So we were sitting in my kitchen, uh, Kathy. And, uh, and I and, and my wife, Becky, and we were, we were talking and somehow we got into the subject of talking about like the three guys and, you know, just how do you process that and your and, and feelings and thoughts towards those guys. And um, Kathy shared some stuff with me that just, I mean, just rocked me, just rocked my world. And so I wanted her to be able to have a chance to share with all of you. So Kathy, if you wouldn't mind... If you just tell us a little bit, these three guys that ultimately were responsible for, for Robert's murder, um, what are your feelings toward them? Because I'm thinking you are very entitled to have a lot of Jonah, older brother, you know, I mean, just just hate and rage. And so just tell us, tell us about where you are with that.
2: Yeah, in the, um, y- you know, I, I think it was natural and normal for me to have flashes of, anger and hatred towards the men. Um, I know a lot of my friends have told me that I have every right and reason to to hold that mindset towards them for the rest of my life. Um, and, you know, for the friends who really walked with me through this whole journey, they can testify that I, I have wished some very bad things upon the men. But what kept overriding uh, in a very steady way what kept overriding the anger and the hatred was this this question this very deep question um, of how how did this happen how did these men come to a point in their lives where it became so opposite of what uh, God ever intended for them and um, you know I started I started wondering about the the lives of these men when they were younger. I I think like a lot of us or all of us they were once these very happy and innocent 5-year-old boys who begged their parents for puppies and you know loved playing catch and were you know in T-ball leagues and what have you and it really it really forced me to think about you know what what decisions did they start making that turned their lives so evil and dark and perverse? Because as the investigation uh, went on, we we learned that these men had been living a double life that completely stunned all of us. It was it was very, I think, the whole community and everyone who knew um, Robert and and the three men, and we were all just uh, dumbfounded by the depth of their darkness and uh, the double life that they were leading. And while I was processing all of that, what also came to me, not overnight, it was gradual, but when it came to me, it, it hurt deeply because I began feeling a fraction of how much God hurts and cries every day for the people that he sees in this world who... Who have given over themselves to to just darkness and evil and how that ends up hurting others, and he has such great compassion for people like like Joe Victor and Dylan. He has great sadness and sorrow over how their lives um, you know just went the opposite of what he has always wanted for them.
1: Mm. And you mentioned that, I mean, I think seeing them in that light and and the way kind of God sees them is is so powerful. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, you mentioned early on you were praying for them to kind of break and and expose the truth. You know, one of them would actually fess up. Um, But tell us, I mean, this whole idea of like praying for our enemies and, you know, tell us where you are with that, like actually praying for them, How, how does that, how does that work?
2: You know, I personally am not at a point where I I can pray for them with the kind of deep compassion that I, um, you know, that I I think would really delight God. But I, I do, I think about them often. Um, and I do continue to ask God that he would bring others into their lives who would... Uh, you know, begin to share the gospel with them. It, I know that to them the gospel is probably the farthest things from their mind. It is probably um, something that they absolutely would not care for. But I, I do know that it's it's not reason for me to stop asking God to ask or to to send others their way.
1: And you shared something actually between the services here today that I thought was really powerful. You said. Um, What what your reaction would be if if you actually heard that one of them did receive Christ and and what what would your when if you heard that through the grapevine or whatever that one of them actually received Christ what what would your reaction be
2: Well I I've thought long and hard about this question in you know just the privacy of my own thoughts if if I did hear news about one or two or all of them uh doing what to us is probably the unthinkable, and that's accepting Jesus Christ um, you know i I honestly think I would probably i would I would become pretty emotional um not not because of anger, but because. If that is what happens, then it, I think, is it is the epitome of God's grace not making sense in all of the most wonderful ways. And, um, you know, and isn't, isn't that what we want? Um, as, as Christians, we, it's uh, very easy for us to visualize the, the good people that we know of to be in heaven with us, but um, I just want to share a quotation that I think I will never forget that I heard back when I was in college. Some of you may know of a well-known pastor named Dr. Chuck Swindoll, who is out in Fullerton, California, and back in college, every weekend, he had a half-hour radio series called Insight for Living, and I would try to make it back in time to my dorm room to, to, um, to hear that. And I'll never forget one of his sermons when he um, was talking about, I guess, the demographics of heaven. And he said, when I get to heaven, there will only be two things that surprise me, the people that I expect to see there, but I don't, and the people that I don't expect to see there, but I do. Mm. And um, and that stays with me as I as I think about Joe, Victor, and Dylan, it, it has... Really been on my heart this past weekend with uh, James Holt, I think that's his name. Um, you know, having killed people in the movie theater. Um, you know, several years ago when the when the Virginia Tech shootings happened, and with the Sandusky case, it's so hard for us. I think in our in our finite human ability to understand how we could share as Christians, we could share real estate in heaven with with people like this but but i i I can't get away from how much god's heart cries out for people like them to to be saved uh to you know to not be in that darkness anymore Mm.
1: powerful stuff um one last just kind of quick parting shot question and then we're going to close the service um You know, Jonah, as as it strikes me, is very much uh, in bondage to his hate and his anger in this story. And we talked a little bit about that, too. Um, Can you speak to that as you think about uh, everything that's happened and with the guys, you know, and and you not wanting to be in that place of of bondage to your hatred or resentment? You know, I um –
2: I, I've I've been in places where I was really where you know, I was hostage to a lot of anger and bitterness, but not not because of an event like this. Robert having been murdered was, you know, by far the um you know, the hardest test I think that I've I've had to go through. Um, but I, I had enough self awareness even in my grief and all the confusion and everything that was going on. I I had enough self-awareness to understand that I don't I don't want to go back there again, I don't I don't want to you know simply put I don't want to turn into this old bitter angry person who looks at life you know just through one type of lens and that is you know oh I've lost so much and you guys have everything it, it's it's not it's not what I wanted to put out there in the world I think one of the many good things that Robert's murder helped me to understand was, um, th- you know, there's already so much hurt and brokenness out there in the world, and I, I don't want to contribute through my, you know, just through exuding, um, you know, more anger and hatred, and there's just, and even in the midst of all of this grief and all, so many lives being turned upside down, I don't think anyone can deny who walked this journey with me that there were also a million good things that came out of it. Just, you know, unbelievable how um, both seen and unseen blessings that, that kept coming and continue to come.
1: Awesome stuff. Um, would you guys help me to just give a hand of appreciation to Kathy? So. pray with me? Lord God, um, what a powerful, powerful story that Kathy has shared. Um, Lord, uh, first and foremost, we want to pray for her. Uh, We want to lift her up. We thank you for the courage that it takes every time she walks up and shares what happened and, and how she's processed everything. But we thank you for how you've touched us through her story. Uh, God, we know that, that life will forever be different for her. And, and God, um, we know that wow, she stands up here and looks like this larger-than-life person. But, God, you know, we know that she still struggles in, with good days and bad days and, and, and all that kind of stuff and, and, and wanting to pick up bitterness and resentment. And we just pray, God, that you'd guard her heart, that you'd bless her life, that you would just bring so many wonderful blessings to her. We thank you, God, for being with her and for sustaining her through this last five years and, and how crazy it's been. Uh, God, um, one of the hardest things that I think I've ever done up here is um, what I'm about to do again in this service, which, God, I don't want to do this, but uh, you call us to do it. Um, we don't want your grace, at least I don't always want your grace to go to certain places. But Kathy actually has asked you to send people who would pray for these guys because she can't do it. God, we pray for Joe and Victor and Dylan. And we pray, God, that you would do what only you can do in their hearts, that you'd reach out to them. They are so lost, and that you would redeem them. Lord God, um, finally, I just want to pray for every single person who is here in this room right now, and anyone who's listening online and anywhere else. God, please do not allow us to ever become Captive to our anger, to our resentment, to bitterness over hurts or people who've done us wrong. God, I want to lift up every single person and I pray for those places in our hearts and in our lives where we still harbor anger, where we still harbor resentment. And I pray, God, that you'd shine your life into our lives, that you'd show us those things. And that you would root them out in the name of Jesus Christ so we would not be held hostage to those things. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. And that in the most evil atrocities of this world, that somehow, way, you continue to shine your light. And to bless. And to give your grace. We don't understand it, God, but we thank you for it in Christ's name.